Hello and welcome to Connecting Kids App. My name is Matt Murphy and I'm the president of the Port Orchard Chamber of Commerce and your host for today's podcast. With Connecting Kids App, we put you in touch with what to do, where to go, and the people to know in Kitsap County. Hello and welcome to the Connecting Kitsap podcast. I am your host, Matt Murphy, and for our inaugural podcast, we have asked State Senator Emily Randall to join us. Our goal is to make this a regular event. You'll be able to watch it on our video on YouTube, um, as well as eventually um, pick up the podcast on uh, Spotify. Before we jump into the conversation with Senator Randall, though, I'd like to give a shout out to a couple of the sponsors for the Port Orchard Chamber of Commerce. I'd like to thank um, our platinum sponsors, the Stafford Healthcare family, um, which includes uh, Stafford uh, Ridgemont Senior Apartments, Stafford Healthcare, and Stafford Suites. A special thanks to our gold sponsors, Dana's Heating, Peninsula Credit Union, and um, Walmart. And a, a big, huge, special new thank you to our returning sponsors. So far, we have um, Dana's Heating, as well as Peninsula Credit Union, returning as gold sponsors uh, for 2021. Okay, <clears throat> so for our first podcast, we have Senator Randall. Senator Randall was able to squeeze us into her busy schedule, and I asked her about her Gold Street upcoming session. And then I asked her uh, on her take for the COVID-19 and lockdowns. And then we ended up with a, a quick little discussion on ESD and the upcoming virtual sessions. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. So today I have Senator Emily Randall with me. Um, she is the state senator from the 26th legislative district. And for those of you that don't know, the uh, 26th Legislative District runs from uh, the Narrows Bridge in Pierce County up to most of South Kitsap, and I think a sliver of Bremerton, right? A sliver of Bremerton. So welcome, Senator Randall. Well, happy to be with you, Matt, and I'm here from my home office in the sliver of Bremerton that's in our district. Okay, so is that West Bremerton right there where... Okay, we're yeah, we go up to um, the Warren Avenue Bridge um, and the Manette Bridge on the West Bremerton side, and then we have the south side of Kitsap Way okay. to the highway. Okay, and then um, the 23rd up above you? So it's the 23rd when you cross the Warren Avenue or Manette Bridge. It's the 35th if you cross Kitsap okay. Way. Right, so I knew the 35th reached in here too. When I talked with the, the candidates from the 35th, we were like, holy cow, the 35th is huge. It's really huge, so, so anyways, Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. You know, 2020 is over. Uh, frankly, 2021 came in with a splash. We've had so much rain the last few days. It's kind of incredible. Um, you're headed into your third legislative session, right? Your third session. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, can you kind of refresh our memory a little bit about your background? You grew up in South Kitsap, right? Um, yeah, I grew up in Sunny Slope in the house my mom grew up in. Graduated from South Kitsap High School and. 2004. And um, I, I ended up going to college on the East Coast because I got better financial aid from a private institution. It was cost me less than it would have cost me at Western at the time. But I've worked in healthcare and education advocacy and organizing. Um, you know, I, I came to this work because of family experience and stories, struggling to access the healthcare that we needed. I've heard, you know, constituent and neighbor stories that are similar. And um, 
you know, I really saw in my family a dedication to service. My, you know, dad and grandpas and uncles, um, you know, were all in the armed forces. And my dad was a longtime PSNS employee. And my mom's dad was a firefighter with the um, Bremerton Fire Department for a long time. So folks in my family have always been committed to community and to doing their best to make lives better for their neighbors. And that was certainly an inspiration for me. So great. So you are, um, well, shoot, you're a pro at this state senatoring stuff now, right? Um, you're, you're ready to roll. So can you, after having been through this at least twice before, can you tell me a little bit about what your goals, hopes, aspirations are for this, uh, for this new session coming up? Yeah, good question. I, I'm not sure that I'd say I was a pro, but um, this is a, a session like no other. You know, none of us really know what to expect. I keep making the joke that I don't have a crystal ball to, you know, know whether we'll have floor time for something, whether we'll have votes. We don't have the luxury of hallway conversations with our colleagues like we used to, but our staff has been really bending over backwards to make sure the technology is in place, just like you know, just like you're doing right now to try new um, ways to reach out to community. We're using um, the tech to the best of our ability to make sure the session runs as smoothly as possible in service of the people of Washington. So my goals are to um, get to work and we have a, an early action package that um, my colleagues have been working on to get some much needed cash to folks who have been left out of stimulus, who, you know, just haven't been reached by some of the programs from the federal level. Um, we're looking at some small business grants. We're looking at, at cash to families. Um, we'll see the details of that plan get flushed out as, um, you know, the weeks progress, but we're hoping to pass that soon to get money both from the um, federal stimulus that we have available, but also from the budget stabilization account into the hands of folks who need it most. Um, I also have some goals in my policy areas around defending the historic investments that we've made in higher education. And those investments came in partnership with the Washington Business Roundtable, who has a goal of getting 70% credential attainment for um, Washington grads, uh, but we're lagging behind and we need to make sure that the workforce in Washington is best educated to meet the needs of businesses. And so as chair of higher education workforce development, um, getting more folks to the, the training that they need to do the jobs of today and tomorrow is a huge goal for me. I've also been working um, with Republican colleagues on some healthcare policy, including a postpartum Medicaid expansion to make sure you know, new birth parents are able to maintain the healthcare that they need to keep their family strong, um, to ensure that providers have the support that they need with a, another, another few bills that we're working on, um, and then looking at equity in education and in our health systems. So those are some broad areas where I'm working, but my goal is to do the most good for the most people and get out on time. Get out on time, I like that, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, the work for the um, education side of things. And I know that that you and I have been at a couple of the CTE meetings that they have. And, you know, from a business standpoint, um, you know, the trades and everything is, is critical. So I'm going to applaud you for, um, for, the, for the hard work that's being done on that, because I don't think enough is being done. Um, you know, everybody is told to go to college, but that's not necessarily the, um, the, the necessary path for everybody. So. 
Yeah, what I'm proudest about um, in the expansion of the Washington State College Grant is that it's not just for a four-year degree or a two-year degree, right? Our investments cover apprenticeships and they cover short-term credentials, you know, for folks who are looking to pivot careers or, you know, get the skills training that they need to get a promotion. We're meeting Washington students where they are and helping employers get the best and strongest workforce that they can. Yeah, that's I, I'm I'm impressed with all the hard work that's being done on that. So, so I guess I guess moving on is you know is moving the discussion on the first and foremost the thing we need to talk about is this COVID nineteen stuff and nobody saw a twenty twenty coming like it turned out. Um, you know, it, it it's been a pretty rough year, um, and and this isn't this isn't designed to be a political discussion. But it has been said that there's no evidence to support the restaurant shutdowns. Um, that it, but but quite simply, you know, the fact that people get together without masks on, the risk is higher. Plain and simple. That that's that's what it boils down to. But then you hear the stories of you know 145 uh, employees at Costco getting infected, and and you know there is no repercussions. There's no shutdowns or anything like that. So, you know, needless to say, the lockdowns have been devastating to the local uh, small businesses. So my first question really is, um, have you personally seen any science to support the level of lockdowns that have been imposed on the local businesses for Washington State? Yeah, I will say um, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a lot of you know, concern, and especially if you go on social media, you see articles that say whatever you want them to say. Um, our Health and Long-Term Care Committee had a really substantive presentation um, over the interim about the you know, most up-to-date science from um, immunologists and public health experts, both in our state and you know, folks in other states as well. Um, you know, we're dealing with an airborne virus that um, when you look at some kind of circulatory maps of air systems, right, you're more likely to be infected if you're stationary next to someone else stationary for a long time, right? You're less likely to be infected if you're moving in a space and your airflow patterns aren't overlapping with each other. That's just, um, it, it's hard, I think, to make the connection between, you know, inside in one space with one kind of activity and inside in another space with a different activity. They can have very different public health impacts based on that, that airborne virus. Um, but I'm not trained as a public health expert, and so my my um, you know go-to is always to ask questions of folks who are. I wouldn't want you know um, I I wouldn't want folks who weren't trained you know as um, safe cooks to be making the food that I buy from a takeout restaurant, right? I, I want folks to have the training and certification that they need to keep my food healthy and to not leave you know. Um, things out of the fridge too long. Um, in the same vein, I'm going to make my public health policy decisions based on the expert opinion of public health practitioners, folks who are trained. I do know that, that we are all facing immense challenges from the pandemic. On the economic front, our businesses are struggling. Um, individuals who have been struggling to access the support that they need if they've been laid off, folks who you know have to stay home from work because they're um, an at-risk population, um, you know, people who are unable to 
you know, put their loved ones at risk, folks who live in multi-generational housing, you know, who are worried about their grandparents. My grandpa just turned 90 this summer and, you know, it, he needed to be in my bubble because he ended up um, in the hospital uh, in April and couldn't take care of himself when he got home. So, you know, we've, we make the choices that we have to, to take care of our families um, during really tough circumstances. Um, I've been amazed by the creativity that so many of our businesses have shown, you know, small gyms like Annapolis Fitness, figuring out how to have classes, you know, in the um, parking lot or yoga studios who are live streaming, um, you know, businesses building safe spaces outside, you know, with a, a tarp overhead in order for, to facilitate dining. It's hard. And I see the work that folks are doing to make sure that they're able to keep their um, employees employed. They're able to continue supporting their own families and provide really incredible services to our community. I am really committed to providing them some extra support. So that's why I'm so excited about this early action package we're going to see um, in, in the Senate. And I think the House is also, you know, pretty on board with making progress there because I know, I know folks are hurting and we need to do more to support them. All right, super. Thank you for that. That information, that that first presentation or whatever you you alluded to, is that something that the public can uh, can get access to? Yeah, I'll, we'll send you a link to the okay. um, to the healthcare committee presentation. They're all on the legislative website, but I know it can be it can you know be a bit of a bear to navigate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so do you at any time over the course of last year did you think that a special session of the legislature should have been called? Um, to address some of the restrictions and the lockdowns and, and the, the concerns that were out there? You know, we had some conversations, um, you know, um, among colleagues of both parties about when, whether that was the best, um, best thing to do. And I don't know, um, the, I, I really, support the, um, you know, the work of our public health experts in making tough choices. There were times where I felt certainly frustrated by an inability for to have a, a stronger voice myself and a vote in some choices. But, um, you know, I do feel like public safety and public health was put at the forefront of every decision um, that has been made. I am eager to get back to session in Olympia to, to do more work for our community and I know that our, uh, that every single one of my colleagues feels the same way that we're ready to get to work for our neighbors to support them any and every way we can. All right, so um, so I guess on, on so, so kind of as as the last question on on this topic really is um you know do you believe the lockdowns and restrictions was the proper course of action or or could things have been done a little bit differently? Well, you know we all have perfect hindsight, right? Um, I think what, you know, that what we've seen in states like ours that took strong action as compared with states that didn't take strong action is pretty telling. Um, you know, I hear, I continue to hear from healthcare providers who are overwhelmed by, um, you know, the holiday related spikes in infections and, you know, we're, we're struggling to care for the, our loved ones and our neighbors and even the strangers in our community who deserve the healthcare um, of an unoverwhelmed hospital. Um, you know, 
I think I think we've seen that that states that have taken bold action have have saved lives. And I, you know, having lost loved ones myself um, in other states, I am grateful for every single step to protect um, the health of our community that we've been able to take. So we discussed the lockdowns and, and the local businesses, and I, I kind of want to turn the focus to um, th their effects on, on state government. Um, we've had uh, um, we've had uh, record unemployment, um, and then of course we had some Nigerian prince tap into the to our unemployment funds too, and so you know they've really kind of kind of sucked our the, the unemployment reserves draw, uh, drier. And many of the businesses have seen their unemployment insurance premiums jump from like a half a percent up to 4%. Um, and even though those businesses have had no claims. Now, I know the governor's got some, a proposal to, to address some of that stuff. Um, can, you, can you comment on either the governor's plan or is there an alternate plan that you've heard about? Because I know that a lot of stuff is floating around pre-session, you know, some of the stuff that's headed your guys' direction. Um, any any help on the on the forefront as far as um, unemployment insurance is concerned? Um, pretty brief comments. I'd say you know our community, as we've said over and over in this conversation, is struggling, and those folks you know who are unemployed and trying to access um, unemployment benefits are struggling, and the businesses who are are trying to keep people connected. One of the things, um, you know, one of the programs that Washington, I think, does a lot better than other states is our shared work program, which allows, um, many of your members probably know this, but for folks who don't, it allows um, the state and the business to kind of go in on keeping folks connected to benefits and kind of connected to your business, even if they have to be furloughed or, you know, um, or not work for a while to still get those benefits and then you know come back to the business when you're able to you know start up again and to grow um and that's that's been so successful what i have we have seen is that um mostly uh public entities are taking advantage of that a lot of private businesses haven't been tapping into that shared work program so um you know i hope that folks who might need it might seek more information out on shared work and our office can be helpful there too though i, I bet matt could get you all the information that you need um, <laughs> as the chamber is such a great resource but we're we're here to help um I know that Senator Kaiser, who chairs our Labor and Commerce Committee, has been working on some, you know, policy fixes, really much needed policy fixes to um, the Employment Security Department and our unemployment system. We've, in our office, uh, provided support for over 500 constituents over the interim who are trying to access unemployment services. So we know fixes are needed. I'm not here to say everything at the unemployment office worked perfectly over the interim. I know that's not true. I've got bus drivers who call me and tell me it's not true. I, you know, have folks who, you know, are denied for some unknown reason who call me and tell me it's not true. We want to make sure that folks are connected to services. So um, I don't have details on a plan, you know, that I'm proposing or co-sponsoring, but I, um, really invite your comments on the bills that are filed and we can send you a link to pre-filed bills so that you can check them out 
but really invite your comments as business owners and as folks who are impacted um, on the policies that are proposed so that I can take those into account as I shape my vote and my advocacy on the leadership team. So how do we know, um, you know, because I've, I've followed the bills that are introduced and there's just, there's usually tons of them. Um, and I know the, pro I, I know some of the process, you know, they go to committee and maybe they make it out, maybe they don't. Is there a way to kind of track those that, stand a better chance of getting out because otherwise somebody could go cross-eyed following, you know, following some of the, some of the issues and, and the bills that are going out there. Cause it's, you know, and then I get bills that, that I see that are like, Oh my God, they can't be serious. And of course they never make it out of committee. They, ne they never get a hearing, you know, I mean, there's nothing on those. And so, you know, a lot of times people might get worked up over some off the wall legislation that's proposed that is likely never going to make it any further. Um, and anything that, any advice for following those types of things? So I'd say um, on the legislative website, you can sign up for alerts on bills that you're interested in. So you'll get a ping if it's scheduled for hearing and committee, and then that will be an easier way to kind of weed out the bills that um, you know, you're not getting pinged about because they're not moving forward. I'd also say that we're our, our office, Sarah, um, my legislative assistant and I, as well as our, our session staff are really eager to be here for you to be a sounding board on, on bills that you have questions about. You know, if you're curious about a policy, their odds, it's odds. If it's in my committee, I'll have a good sense, um, but I'm happy to ask around too and to um, provide you as much information as possible. You know, I've heard some folks concerned about the virtual legislative session being one that fewer people are gonna be able to participate in. And I'll say that in my experience, chairing um, you know, one standing committee and one joint legislative executive committee over interim, um, I think the opposite has been the case. You know, Folks are able to sign up to give remote testimony without driving down to Olympia, without taking time off work, without um, getting childcare, and it's, it allows more people to have a voice. And one of the things that I'm excited to do, to continue doing is to sort our uh, testimony sign-up lists with lobbyists at the bottom um, because, because everyday people deserve a voice in the legislative process. And this session is gonna be a great test of whether or not we can increase access um, in a really meaningful way. And so I invite you to reach out if you have questions about how to sign up for testimony, if you have questions about the legislative process, where a bill is, um, my email is emily.randall at leg.wa.gov. And uh, we're here to answer all of your questions and to hear from you. So I'm excited to participate with you and to be on the team. That's it for our first episode. Thanks for sticking with us. Our next episode will be a discussion with uh, Victor Thompson, the chairman of the board on a recap of 2020 in the Chamber of Commerce. And then coming up next week, we have a discussion with the South Kitsap School District uh, Superintendent Tim Winters. I hear they have uh, something coming up on the ballot in February. Until then, um, remember to uh, like our Facebook page, follow us on YouTube, and most importantly, shop local, love local. Talk to you next week.